So we're in week five of this series called The Blessed Life. And, uh, you know, Robert Morris wrote this book called The Blessed Life, which I think we still have available, and you've got to read this book. I'm not the most original person in the world, really, or, or the smartest, but I'm, I, I want to pass on when I find a great thing that, you know, Robert has explained something that I've done all my life, but he explains the why from Scripture better than anybody I've ever read, and I want to pass that on to you. I want to share that with you, his messages on this subject, the outlines that we've been sharing. I'm going to do that again for you today and share probably the most important message in the entire Blessed Life series. And, and you know, I know we're a little distracted, Super Bowls today. You know, the Olympics are starting this week. You, you guys realize that, Friday or Thursday night. And everybody wants to be a champion. Everybody wants to be at the top of the podium and very few people get to be, but every person in this room can be a champion. Every person in this room, you can be the first person in your entire family to break through a, an entire family culture uh, of selfishness and grudging. I see it all the time. Whole families just going through life and they are in a spiritual bondage. Their hearts are locked up in self-absorption, selfish living, and a grudging heart, everything that's ever been done to them and all the blaming, and you could be the first person, if not, that's not you already, to break completely, to break that spirit of bondage and to live a blessed life and be a champion in life. And that's my motivation for you. That's what I want for you to have, and it's the only motivation for why I'm teaching this. We don't teach this out of a place of need. We teach it out of what God wants to do in your heart. The whole Bible, the subject of the Bible is God and, and that he is love, right? From the beginning to the very end, God is love. And God so loved the world that he gave. The whole heart of God is about giving. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We're giving our time to him today. You think about a successful marriage, it's all about two people giving their best to one another. It's all about giving. And so I want to, to, to lead into probably the most important message in this series. We're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 17 and Genesis chapter 5. If you would find that in your, uh, on the iPad uh, app that you have or grab out that note uh, sheet in your program so you can write some things down. It's really important you write stuff down today and, and remember this beyond this morning. 1 Kings chapter 17, and the message today is entitled, First Things First. If God is first in your life, everything in your life will come into order. If God's not first in your life, everything will be disordered from your marriage to your career to your family to your job to your health, everything. When God is in first place in your life and when the first things in your life are in first place, uh, and they're given to God, everything in your life comes into order. And so uh, the scripture is very clear that your heart gets tested. And the question I start off with today, who's in first place in your heart? And I know everybody would say, well, Darren, God is, because that's what you'd say to a pastor. Everybody would, you would say that. But you know how you know, and I don't mean this to be cliche or even a little bit, you know, um, I, don't, I don't want this to be trite. Look in your checkbook. Look at your bank register, and you'll know what is first in your life. Because the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever is first that comes out of your bank account, your check register, that's what's going to be first. 
Now, in 1 Kings 17, there's an economic recession going on that's tough. I know we don't know anything about that, but it is a difficult time. It's going to last for three and a half years, and there's going to be no rain. You've heard about the drought in California, but this is way worse than that. Zero rain for three and a half years. There's a famine. Uh, the economy buckles, and it's devastating. And this story is happening about six months into that three-and-a-half-year period of time. And it's happening to a man by the name of Elijah. Elijah's a prophet of God, and here's the story. Beginning in verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Now arise, leave Israel, and go to this foreign country. Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Reminder, no rain. Uh, and the first thing he asked for is water. And she was going to get it. And he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord uh, your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. We have one meal left. And Elijah said to her, look at this now. If you're, if you're in your Bible, underline it. Do not fear. Go and do as you've said, but make me a small cake from it. What's it say? First. And bring it to me, and afterwards make some for yourself and your son. I can't believe he says that, some of you are saying. Make some for me first, and then take care of you and your son. For thus says the Lord of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. It's an amazing story. A widow with only one son, and nobody else to provide for her or take care of her in this time of recession and drought and famine and no rain, and there's one meal left, and Elijah has the audacity to say to her, Bring something to me first, and that doesn't make sense at all, but think about this. Um, is Elijah crazy? Is he, what, what, is he crazy? I wonder how many people think I'm crazy when I say to you, coming out of a time of an economic downturn, and I say to you, you ought to put the first 10% of your income and give it to God first, give it to the house of the Lord first. And a lot of people would say, well, that's just crazy. I mean, I have barely enough to make ends meet now, and I should be protecting and, you know, fixing things in my own life. And I, I get giving a little if there's some left over, but hear me when I say that the message I'm sharing to you is, is that you're supposed to put God first in front of everything else. And I bet a lot of people just say, well, that's just, that's just crazy. Much like this story seems crazy. Downturns are one of the most important times to put God first. Because you want God to bless you, especially in a time of difficulty and a time of downturn. And how will you make it without his blessing? So here's what people miss about this story. God did not send Elijah to the widow to provide uh, for Elijah. God sent Elijah to the widow so God could provide for the widow. That's what this story is all about. God's, 
God sends a man all the way from Israel to come all the way and travel up to this widow, not to provide for Elijah, but so that this woman's needs could be met. And that's what people miss. She's about to die. And they have the last meal left. And her son is about to die. And God gives her an opportunity to put his kingdom first so that he can provide for her in a miraculous way. And understand, the reason why most people never see a miracle of God in their life, they never see his provision, they don't see his miraculous protection, is they never put themselves in a place uh, where God is given the opportunity to bless them in a miraculous way. It takes faith to put God first. How can you ever expect to God to bless you in a miraculous way if you don't do it his way? We're about to die. We only have one meal left. Okay, give to God first and then watch him provide for you. It takes faith to do that. And when she put God first, the miracle happened. God didn't bring this man to the widow for the widow to provide for her. God had been taking care of Elijah all along. In fact, before this story and after this story, God himself is providing for Elijah. Elijah has no needs. In fact, go back just two verses and take a look in 1 Kings 17, verse 6. The ravens brought him. So God sent ravens to bring him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So God's providing for, his, for, him, for him even before he sends him to the widow. Then after this story, two chapters later, 1 Kings 19, 5 and 6, then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. By the way, the first appearance of angel food cake anywhere in the world right here. And he drank and he lay down again. God doesn't need this widow uh, to provide for Elijah, but he wanted to provide for her. And God wants to provide uh, an opportunity for you to have him do a miraculous thing in your life and show himself to be your God. This is all about the heart, but you have to honor him first. Not only did he want to provide for this widow, he wanted to protect her family because this boy was going to die, not from hunger. Yes, they had one more meal left, but there was something happening with this boy because a few uh, chapters later, he has an aneurysm or something like this, and he drops dead. But here is this woman far away in a foreign country, and God has sent the man of God all the way to her. So at the time of her crisis, he would be right there. You read about it in 1 Kings 17 that he's in proximity when the boy dies. Verse 21, and Elijah stretched himself out on the child three times, and he cried out to the Lord because he loved this family. Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. Did God know this boy was sick? Did God know there was going to be a crisis? Had God prepared in advance God uh, moving Elijah and taking care of him and bringing him to a point where he would be there to provide for this godly woman right in the middle of an economic downturn? And who says to him, I don't have anything. We got one meal left. And he says, I know, but if you'll honor God and you'll put him first, you're about to see a miracle of his provision and his protection in your life. And friends, that's the two things that tithing brings into your life. Always, all the way through scripture, God's provision and God's protection. 
That's what it's about. God doesn't need something from you, but he wants to give you an opportunity to see his miraculous provision and his miraculous protection. Now, if God said to you, if you give me the first 10% of your income, I will bless you and provide for you beyond what you can imagine, and I will stand at the door of your house and keep Satan out and rebuke the devourer from eating away what you have. Would you tie then? Well, where'd he say that? Well, we heard it two weeks ago. God has already said that. God has said that, and we're still wondering, is that true? But God said it in Malachi, the third chapter, where he clearly says, if you will bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, try me or test me now in this, says the Lord, and see if I won't pour out the windows of heaven upon you. And he goes on to say, and I'll rebuke the devourer and keep Satan at bay and keep him from eating away your, your, uh, the fruit of your fields and the fruit of your vines. He won't be able to destroy the harvest that you have. What he's saying is, is that if you honor me first, I will provide for you and I'll protect you. The law of provision and protection. So the first principle, you want to write this in, the principle of first in the Bible. God wants to provide for you and he wants to protect you. And he wants to do that. He wants to show you that he is your provider and he is your protector. Now, something stands in the way of that. Why is that so hard? It's human nature to be afraid of everything. All the way back to the beginning, we're scared. We, we think that, well, I have to protect me. And we also think, I don't want anybody telling me what to do because I don't trust anybody else. Those are the two things that are in the heart of every person all the way back to the very beginning. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I know what's best for me. And I'm afraid. That's why Elijah would say to this woman, do not fear. First words out of his mouth, don't fear let me tell you, if you'll put God first, there's provision and protection from you. See, it takes faith to put God first. Not, um, well, I'll make for you, sure, I'll take care of uh, me and my, and my son first, and if there's anything left, then I'll give something to you. No, no. Elijah said, no, don't do it that way. Bring to me first. See, it takes faith to give the first 10%. It doesn't take any faith at all to come later, to take care of all of your needs, to take care of all of your, of your situation, and then come at the end and say, well, if there's some left over, and God says, that's missing the point. I don't need your money. I'm after your heart. And the principle is the principle of the first. The first 10% will require faith. And there's a barrier to that. And I want to read you this in Genesis chapter 4. This is where we see the first story of where the barrier begins. It's a story of Cain and Abel. You've heard this story before of two brothers, and many theologians believe that they were actually twins. We don't know that for sure, but two twin brothers, uh, I'll show you why theologians believe that. It's in the first verse. Uh, this is the story of Cain and Abel. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived, and she bore, she delivered, and she said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she delivered, or she bore again this time her brother Abel. So she conceived once, but she bore twice. That's why theologians say, well, she, these were probably twins. We don't know for sure. Anyway, she bore, delivered again, and this time the brother's name was Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. He's a rancher. And Cain was a farmer. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the first of the ground to the Lord 
And Cable brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? I mean, why is your countenance falling? If you do well, I mean, if you bring the offering the way you should, will you not be accepted? And if you do well, if you do not do well, if you don't bring the offering the way that you should, then sin lies at the door. When you rebel against an instruction from God, it opens the door to all kinds of sin in your life. That's what he's saying. Now, now sin wants to rule over Cain at this point, and so so Cain leaves the conversation and goes and talks with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. Now, a lot of people don't understand why would God accept one's offering and not the other? And people say, well, you know, probably because one's a lamb and this is grain and God likes the sacrifice of an animal. Well, that's not true because all the way through the scripture, God accepts all kinds of grain and offerings and, and, and animal offerings and, and all that. So it's not that. And people say, well, it's a big mystery. We just don't know why. Well, of course we know why. It's right here in the scripture. It says this, Abel brought the firstborn of his flocks. Cain brought an offering in the course of time, like whenever he wanted to bring it, whatever he wanted to bring, whenever he got around to it. Why did he bring his first fruits? See, it shows you something about his heart, and I want to spend the rest of the time making a contrast of two hearts, the heart of Abel and the heart of Cain. I want to talk about Cain first, so write this down. Let's talk about the heart of Cain. Now, how do we know what's in his heart? Well, well, other places in the Bible talk about Cain, and we're going to look at some of those. In Jude chapter 1, verse 11, here's a verse about Cain. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So what he's saying is, is that the way of Cain is the way of greed and rebellion. So can I tell you why people don't tithe? And there's no shame in this, right? No shame in this at all. No condemnation, guilt-free zone. But there's something here for us to learn. I mean, when we ask the question, why don't people tithe, we're not trying to condemn anybody. We're trying to say, well, let's try to shed some light on it and see if we can figure out why that's so difficult. And maybe you've struggled with it, and you've always said, I, I, I struggle with this whole idea. When I, I, I want to tell you why and, and hope to shed some light on the why part. Why is this so hard? What stops us? from this like there's something in the way well we have a heart by nature that doesn't want to give that doesn't want to give away we don't want to give up we want more and we don't want anybody telling us what to do we want to do it our way there's greed and rebellion you see Cain knew what God wanted I mean, these are grown boys. I mean, these are, these are men. They're not like kids that don't know. These are they're grown men now. One's, one's running a farm. One's running a ranch. And they've seen their parents, and they've learned from their parents, and they've learned the example. They know what God wants. It's clear from the Scripture that the expectation they understood, even though this was the first recorded offering, they've seen this many times before. And, and in the course of time, whenever he wanted, whenever he got around to it, Cain brought an offering, whatever I want to do, whenever I want to bring it. And I don't know how many times as a pastor I've heard this, this statement, like, well, I just feel led to do this. I just feel led to do that. And, and, and I resent anybody telling me 
how or what I should give. Well, well, I understand that. I mean, that's the heart, that's the heart of Cain. That's, that's the heart of, of Cain right here in the scripture. It's like, I don't want somebody telling me what to do. That's like a person who says, well, I don't need anybody telling me how to love my wife. A, a person might say, look, I told my wife, this is who I am, this is how I'm wired, and she's just going to have to get over that. That's just the way I am. And the scripture says, well, no, you're, you're supposed to love your wife sacrificially as Christ loved the church and put her needs in front of yours. We're told how to love our wife. And, and, and if you're a wife, uh, it says, uh, so wife says, well, I'll respect him if he deserves it. <laughs> That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says you love your wife and you, or you love your husband and you put his needs and what he wants ahead of yours and you submit underneath that and that's how you love your husband. Well, I don't like that. I don't like God telling me how. I don't like anybody telling me how I should give or when I should give or how I should give. I know. That's the problem. And we don't want to have an excuse for rebellion anywhere in our heart. That, that's the heart of Cain. Now, how do you know, Darren, that Cain knew that's what God wanted? Well, I don't know for sure, but it's pretty clear. I think it's implied that he knew. But even if he didn't know what God wanted, all right, God comes to him afterwards and says, hey, 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 why are you so discouraged? I mean, why are you so upset? Why are you so resistant to this? If you do what's right, if you do well, things will go well for you. You will be accepted. It w but if you don't, sin's lying at the door to control you. So what happens is, is, is Cain leaves that conversation, and he, he's angry, and he gets more rebellious, and he's more, and you know what he starts to do? He starts to blame Abel for why God's not blessing him. Like, well, re the reason why God's not accepting me is because he's blessing you. And you don't know how many people, whole families, the culture of an entire family tree, all the time just blaming everybody else for all the problems and all the stuff that ever happened in their life. You, you've seen this. Well, you know, if it wasn't for so-and-so, it wasn't for them, it wasn't for this, it wasn't for that. And it's just a horrible way to live. And it's just, you want to break free from that. And, and, move, and move beyond it. A lot of people uh, are blamers, and God would say, look, even if they did something wrong to you, what about your response? Because you know what the Bible teaches? Someone does something wrong to you, and you respond in the right way, God blesses you for that. And so you want to break free from that hard heart. God says, listen, um, go in my way. Follow what I say. But Cain's heart says, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I'm blaming everybody else for what's wrong. And I'll get around to doing what I want to do when I get around to doing it. Now, it's very clear in Scripture that we are to bring the first 10% of our income to the house of the Lord. Let me just show you, even though we want to do this our own way. Proverbs 19, verse 3, in the Lou Living Translation says this. People uh, ruin their own lives by their own foolishness, and then they're angry at the Lord. Why, why is God being so mean to me? God says, I, don't, I, I want to bless you, but I can't bless a heart that's going in the total opposite direction from me. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord. Notice the word honor. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Notice, it's about honoring God with your heart. It's about putting him in first place in your heart. 
Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. The first of your first fruits, in case we're having trouble understanding what he's talking about. The first of your first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Which settles the question about where you are supposed to bring it. Now, the heart of Cain, let's look at the heart of Abel. The contrast, when, when that is laid out, here's the heart of Abel towards God's word. How do we know his heart? Well, what the scripture says, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, notice plural, it wasn't just one time, and through it, he being dead still speaks. In other words, his heart still speaks to us today. He was a man of faith. By faith, he offered. And it takes faith to give God the first 10%. It takes no faith to bring him whatever we have left over at the end to pay our bills and then give to God what's left over. God says, if you'll honor me first, I'll do a miracle. It wouldn't have taken any faith for that woman to say, well, you know what? I'll, I'll take care of you, Elijah, after the fact. God says, no, bring it first. Bring my kingdom first, and I'll provide for you and protect you. Now, this principle, friends, is all the way through Scripture. Uh, Joshua chapter 6, verse 19. This is speaking to the children of Israel when they've just conquered Jericho, and they're taking in all of the, 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 the contents. He says this, all of the silver, all of it, all the silver, all the gold, the vessels of bronze and iron, everything you, you, you find in this city, they're all consecrated to the Lord, or they're all set apart. They belong to him, and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Well, how's that about tithing? He said, bring all of it. Right. You know why? Because there were ten cities that they had to conquer to take the, the promised land. So he says, you bring the first of all of the first to me, and I will provide and protect you in all of the other assignments that I have for you to do. You bring the first of the first to me. Genesis chapter 22. You'll see this again. It's, it's what tithing is all about, provision and protection. Abraham is given a promise that he is going to be the father of many nations. He's going to have many, many children. And for years, he doesn't have any except he finally gets one child, the child of the promise. And God says, I want you to sacrifice and give that promise to me. And, and Abraham is, is, is shocked. He doesn't say Abraham, he doesn't wait till Abraham has 10 sons or a bunch of sons and then says, now sacrifice one to me. God comes to him and says, I want the first one. And boy, Abraham has to wrestle in his heart because it takes faith to put God first. Verse 10, Abraham, even though he would have not wanted to do this, by faith, he stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son, and the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, don't lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. Look at this part. For now I know that you fear, that you honor, that you respect God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Does that sound familiar, your only son? And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, 
as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. When he, when he was willing to give his first to the Lord, God provided and God protected Isaac. And it wasn't until he stepped out in faith first that God showed his provision and his protection. This is all the way through scripture. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, friends, listen. When Cain heard this message from God, in his heart he was offended and his heart got harder. I wonder if God was offended. That's a different perspective. You see, people say things like this, well, how could God send somebody to hell? Well, I have a different perspective. How can someone reject a loving God that would give his only son? And a different perspective here is, is what if God was offended by Cain's unwillingness to bring God his first and his best? Let me give you a different perspective on this. All the way through Scripture, we're taught this principle. Bring your first fruits. Bring your firstborn. Bring your first and your best to the Lord. Everything in the Old Testament is there as a shadow or, or, or for a reason to explain something in the New Testament. So the first fruits and the firstborn, it represents something that would be revealed in the New Testament. What does the first fruit and the firstborn reveal in the New Testament? It's Jesus. The first fruit and the firstborn is talking about Jesus. It represents Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Or Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have first place or the preeminence. God knew that the firstborn and the firstfruits would represent his son. And Abel brings the firstborn out of a pure heart. And Cain refuses to bring the firstfruits in a rebellious heart. I'll come whenever I want. I'll do whatever I want to do. And God says, I won't accept that because you have no idea what this represents. There's going to come a day that on a mountain, I'm going to give my first my best. I'm going to give my only son for you. So no, I can't accept your leftovers and your, 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 your whatever. I can only accept what's first because of what it represents. Now, if God would give his first and his best for us, why would we give anything less than our first and our best for him. That's the heart God wants us to have as your pastor. I want you to have that heart more than anything else because it opens up a pathway for you to be a champion and to leave a family history of selfishness and grudging. It's not to provide for the needs of this church. God has his way of providing. I do not speak to you from a position of need. I only want for you to have the heart that God wants you to have. The principle, you study this for yourself in the scripture. The principle of seeking first. The principle of putting God first. The principle of bringing the first 10% of your increase into the house of the Lord. You study it for yourself all the way through scripture and see what happens and see how it will change your heart and how it will change your entire life. Because God doesn't need anything from you 
God wants something for you. He wants an opportunity to give you, he wants you to have an opportunity to see his hand miraculously in your life. You've heard these testimonies over and over of how people see the hand of God when he is given an opportunity to put him first by faith. And it will take faith. I'm not going to lie to you. It takes faith to put God's first. But when you do, and he is first in all things, you'll live the blessed life. Now, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Some people, the first part of this message is, I need to give my life to God. I, I've, I've held back to him. I, I'm scared of him. I want to do my own thing. And the real message today is, don't hold God at a distance anymore. Give God your whole life. From this day forward, say, today I'm going to follow him. I'm going to let him direct. I'm going to let him be in charge. And some, of, some other people in this room, no shame, right? No guilt. I never knew that about the heart of God before. I never knew what the first represented. I never connected it. And from this day forward, he will never be less than first in my life. That's what I want for you today. Can I pray for you? Holy Spirit, I pray that today you will touch people's lives. You will bless the heart of the one who says, yes, God, that's me. I want to give myself to you today. If that's you in your heart, say, yes, God, that's me. Someone else says, God, I have resisted you. I've just thought it was about me being led. However I felt today, I put you first in everything. Holy Spirit, I pray that today you'll draw every person who needs prayer, every person who needs to respond to you. May this be a beautiful day in their life. In Jesus' name, amen.